Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this is our companion episode for Immortal Combat, episode 19 of season 5 of Supergirl, aka the season finale. And this is more of a traditional episode breakdown as opposed to when we focus on one topic. So we'll be walking through things that we thought were interesting within the episode. Yeah, so one of the first things is the choice of the title for this episode, which is a riff on Mortal Kombat as a video game series. Mm-hmm. So this is a video game that came out when I was a child and it is a player versus player fighter type game. So very similar to the kind of team versus team conflict that's going on in this episode. The other thing about it, which makes it a kind of an intriguing title choice, is that it was very well known for having really graphic violence, mm-hmm. particularly its finishing moves, which are the special combos that you use to kill off your opponents. It actually was one of the video games that contributed to the rating system for video games. But it's also an interesting choice knowing that the finale was driving towards this idea of final moves or Lena mentions, you know, checkmate moves hmm. to stop the bad guys. And there was also that moment when Kara decimated the immortals. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, wait, did I kill them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kara's like, I'm Supergirl. That's not our rating. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't on brand. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. So that was a neat choice. And kind of related to that, we have a couple of recurring themes across the characters that we'll be taking a look at. One of them is like what it means to be someone's partner or part of a team. Hmm. And in relation to that, the idea of protecting people as one of the values that falls under that process of being a team player. Yeah. (laughs) And then there's avoiding pain as opposed to facing it and facing the past specifically. Which, as we know, is not a thing that is a favorite with some (laughs) of our main characters. Yeah, not a fun time. And then, of course, we have believing in people in classic Supergirl fashion and their ability to overcome difficulties and specifically their ability to face pain in this episode. And speaking of Supergirl herself, that is definitely a part of Kara's brand, believing in people. But the theme that we mentioned that's most relevant to her character in this episode, I think, is the idea of avoiding pain versus facing it. Mm. You mean like on an emotional level, right? Yeah. As opposed to physical, because Kara usually has no qualms about that. Yes. (laughs) She's perfectly willing to face pain specifically or to protect her teammates. But there's a kind of emotional pain that she has to go through in sort of letting other people suffer in order to protect her or put themselves at risk. She doesn't like that. No. She doesn't like when people suffer specifically because they know her. That's been a big thing across this whole season. So the idea of someone suffering in her place is kind of like her worst fear, as we saw in the Triggers episode in season three, mm. when it was revealed that her sending Monel off in a pod to die in the way that was so traumatic for her when she experienced it was her worst fear that she inflicted that upon someone she loved. So seeing her loved ones and her teammates posing as her, as Supergirl, to basically lure danger away from her is a stressful thing. Yeah, and you had Nia staring in delight at all of it. Like, this is like the beginning of the final Harry Potter. And then Kara's in there, surprisingly, to bring the mood down. Yeah, she says Moody and Hedwig died. So she doesn't like the idea, but she's benched for the episode. And we see her like in Lena's lab, really stressed and pacing the whole time. And then when Alex comes to deliver the news that Jean was injured, posing as her, Kara apologizes and Alex tries to console her and <laughs> mention that they still have their ears, which is a reference to how. Well, it was a reference to the Weasley twins, which Alex has referenced before, which is in itself kind of fascinating. Mm. But she re- referenced it back in season four because the twins are always a unit, but then spoiler, something happens and they're not. And the last time she did that was right before the mind wipe. And so when she said it in this episode about the Weasley twins and like one of them getting their ear cut off, I was like, don't you go there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not not comforting for anyone. (laughs) The thing that's most revealing in this scene where Jean and Magan are willing to pretend to be Supergirl in essence is that Kara thinks that other people don't fully grasp 
what that means Mm -hmm. and how dangerous it actually is, which is really revealing about her understanding of what it means for herself, which is something she doesn't talk about too often, except when Alex pushes her to. So that could be something cool to explore. And that idea does come up later when Kara is anxious by herself with Lena Mm -hmm. and her frustration of, no, you don't understand what a burden this is and how dangerous it is. So that was a neat little way of getting that idea in there early in the episode. Yeah. She's very stressed out about people posing as Supergirl, but it's also interesting because her identity as Cara Danvers kind of seems to put someone at risk Mm. with William. He basically risks his life because of something that Cara Danvers says, which is that if you get kidnapped, you're on the right track, essentially. Which is hilarious because that was something that Cara brought up to console Nia when they got kidnapped (laughs) Mm -hmm. before Nia knew that she was Supergirl. So this actually brought up something that frustrated me a little bit last year with the reporting storyline, which is that Kara takes risks that other people really shouldn't because Mm. being a reporter is not dangerous for her in the same way that it is for other people. So I'm glad that they found a way to address that here. So that was cool. Mm, Yeah. And we saw her earlier in the season being stressed out about William's involvement in her adventures. And William ends up getting shot. Well, and the worst part about that is it's a tense scene in the sense that like carousing the ramifications of something from her human life harming someone. Mm. She's there in her Supergirl persona, but it is actually still dangerous for her to be there in her Supergirl persona (laughs) because the anti-Kryptonite suit is not ready yet. And then she's got to play the dual identity thing again to William's face in that moment. Yeah. So William is a human in a very sort of super scenario. (laughs) He's put in a lot of danger. We also have Alex, who has uh, really embraced (laughs) (laughs) entering this realm of gods, as she puts it in this episode, as a vigilante. So we see Alex protecting Kara, which is a fairly familiar situation. It's one of the few situations where Kara accepts it. Mm. Mostly. Mostly. (laughs) And there was a moment when Alex berated her for using her super hearing when she shouldn't. Yeah, she was eavesdropping on Alex's phone call with Kelly. Mm -hmm. And at a time when that would put her in danger because she's not supposed to use her powers Mm. because Ramakan will find her. And it reminded me of a flashback that we had in season one of young Kara and Alex and Eliza saying, Kara, don't use your super hearing. And then saying Alex, like getting her to make sure she doesn't. And then Alex, of course, promises that she will not. And that was specifically because they were in danger because Kara had gone and used her powers when she shouldn't have. Mm, yes. And the scene in this episode with the eavesdropping was really cute as a break in the tension because it was such a siblingy moment of like Kara's listening to her sister talk to her girlfriend on the phone when she shouldn't. <laughs> but it also touched base a lot with these deeper character traits and the dynamic between these two characters where Alex, despite being very human, as she says in the episode, she's... <laughs> feeling her mortality a little bit, is able to engage in this space with these kind of all-powerful beings because she was always in a position where there was something that she understood about the world that Kara didn't and that she was protecting Kara from. And so it was cool to see that resurface as a very old conflict in a slightly new way. And that factors into why Kara isn't yelling at Alex and is instead really supportive of her when she's figured out her Martian weapon and is out there with Nia and Jean and Magan fighting these immortal deities. Yeah. Well, it's interesting when you think of things like... When she freaked out at James. Yeah. <laughs> Back in season two when James became a vigilante and Kara was really stressed out about that while Alex is a DEO agent putting herself in danger all the time and Kara will sometimes be upset with Alex if she puts herself in unnecessary danger, but... Well, she'll also get upset if Alex doesn't have the appropriate gear or, like, puts herself at additional risk. Yeah. Needless risk upsets Kara, but she also trusts Alex to be able to handle that and partially because of their relationship dynamic. Kara's like, look, you survived me growing up in your house. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She's like, well, you're my big sister. Of course you can go off and save the world. It's such a vote of confidence. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But it it ties into this sort of conflict for Kara of like whether or not 
she should try to prevent other people from putting themselves out there to be heroes or specifically putting themselves out there to protect her. Mm, And that definitely ties back to the idea of locus of control that we've talked about a bunch of times Mm. throughout this season and how Kara's is very internal and Mm -hmm. she likes feeling in control of things. And so letting other people do the things and make the decisions is not comfortable to her. (laughs) Yeah, it was scary. (laughs) But with other people, especially after season two when Kara felt like she was letting Alex protect her too much in different Mm. areas, especially emotionally, and prioritizing Kara as opposed to herself. So it's a bit of a battle for Kara, especially with people who are not Alex, Mm. to be willing to let them protect themselves or go out and protect other people, or especially let them protect her. And an example is her journey to not trying so hard to protect Lena physically and with relation to her feelings. And that takes us to another kind of pain that Kara has to face in this episode, which is the pain of betrayal from Lena and the things that she's done to Kara throughout the season. For Kara, we know that she will directly confront perceived moral failings of other people with no qualms. Mm. But then on the other hand, she tries to bury more like personal hurt, particularly with relation to her anger. And I think Kara is basically slow to accept the way things hurt her personally compared to like morally because of her beliefs. Essentially, like people are basically good. And there's that believing in people concept coming up again with Kara. And then also the belief that she was sent to Earth to protect it, Mm. which means a couple things like the greater good is more important than her hurt feelings. So she should focus on like if someone did something morally wrong as opposed to if something hurt her. And then that also means that she's personally responsible for the well-being of others, going back to that locus of control. And that there's a reason that she lost everything. And we saw her kind of struggle with that concept a lot in season one with relation to Alora failing morally. With relation to how she handled the Astra situation, at least in Kara's eyes. We saw in episode eight in season one, Kara confront the Allura hologram asking if Astra was right. So there's that moral issue coming up at first, which is very angry. But then as she becomes more emotional and it's kind of like she opens up a little bit more over time Mm. with all of the things that are upsetting her. She eventually gets to a point where she says, you left me, you left me alone, you sent me away. Mm -hmm. She felt abandoned. And it's like, yeah, her her own grief finally comes out a little bit. Yeah. And so if Allura was like morally wrong, it feels less like there was a reason that Kara lost her whole family and planet. Like it's more like her mother just made a mistake and abandoned her. And then another situation where Kara starts off with taking issue with how someone behaved morally and then revealing that she was also personally hurt occurs later on in season one, again, with relation to Astra, when Kara thinks that Jean was the one to kill her. And she says about the situation, there is always another way, which is a big moral thing for her where you should find a way out of letting people die or killing people. And then Alex reveals that she, in fact, killed Astra. And Kara... Kara's like, well, what do I do with that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's upset, but she makes a point of forgiving her. But then later on, we find out when Kara is affected by red kryptonite that she had this kind of unwanted thought of deep down, you hate me, and that's why you killed my aunt. So in that case, red kryptonite had to force her to get that out or express it at all. Yeah. I'm like, really, Kara, you leapt from, this was an unfortunate thing that happened to, you must really hate me deep down, (laughs) so you murdered my only living family member. (laughs) But that is a thing Kara must have feared with relation to Alex, generally, that she hates her and doesn't want her around, and she's, like, bothering her and ruining her life kind of thing. (sighs) That is true. It's just really interesting how it builds from, you made me wear clothes I didn't like, to, you murdered my relative because you hate me. <laughs> it's yes. an escalation there. But yeah, it takes red kryptonite to get her to express that not entirely rational thought, but which is a more personal hurt. Mm. And then it's kind of interesting because we have a fairly similar situation where Kara is forced to express 
personal hurt in season three with Monel. And we know that Kara was entirely comfortable criticizing Monel in season two for decisions that she thought were immoral. But then in season three, she confronts him in a very different way and sees the same situations through a different kind of lens where she expresses that she didn't like how he lied to her, behaved poorly at her place of employment, disrespected her, etc., which are more personal things. It's kind of like you're a bad person was what she said to him in season two. And in season three, she was expressing like, you treated me poorly in our relationship Mm -hmm. that we had. But in this case, in season three, she only says it because Marin's mind powers were forcing everyone's anger to the surface so that they were lashing out. And she doesn't regret actually having said the things, but she does regret how she said them. But even that was sort of a a point of growth where she didn't try to take it back Mm. entirely. Yeah. Even though it was forcibly prompted. Yes. But that takes us to this episode where Kara, we see her say repeatedly, I don't want to talk about the past. Tying back to the idea of avoiding pain. Which, yeah, as you've established, is uh, Kara's way of getting through life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and specifically because dwelling on the past leads her to feel particularly anger very intensely. And she knows from Mm -hmm. experience that when she is angry, it can have catastrophic consequences for the people around her. Yeah. As well as herself. Well, it's also, as we talked about in the last podcast episode, tied to her grief and feelings of abandonment. Yeah. Well, but even... In terms of thinking about the correlation between her getting emotionally overwhelmed and the reactions with her powers, think even to when she was just angry at Siobhan in the context of a workplace dispute and she was breaking things Mm. while just briefly distracted. And Wynne had to be like, it is okay if you, Cara Danvers, don't like this person because she's mean to you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A struggle that Cara is still having. (laughs) But Lena in this episode talks about her decision to kill Lex last season and this season working with him and Nanduchere, her mind control plot. And she apologizes for them and clearly regrets them. But those are moral failings. And Kara is actually angry because Lena hurt her personally, Mm -hmm. which I think is only really possible for Kara because she has come to the realization that she is not responsible for Lena's actions. Kind of similar to the situation with Monel in season two, Kara was very much focused on the moral actions of these two characters Mm. and trying to get them to behave differently. And then it was only when they did begin to behave differently that she let herself process the other kind of hurt that she felt. Mm. Like how their behavior actually affected her Mm. on an emotional and a personal level. Yeah. So if Carr is responsible for Lena's actions, then it only makes sense that Lena is behaving the way that she is because Carr's not doing the right thing to Mm. make her behave differently. So now Lena's decisions don't feel right. Like Carr knows that that's not her fault and that that's something that Lena's doing that is wrong. And so Carr's at a place now where she probably doesn't want Lena to use her to feel better about her moral actions. Just like if you came to me looking for absolution, I can't give it to you. Well, the biggest thing that Kara's come away with is that not only were the things that Lena was doing wrong in an abstract sense, but the things that she did to Kara were wrong because they had a negative effect on Kara, like separate <laughs> yeah. from the world ending or the mind control or anything else. And like mm. that for Kara was actually sort of new. Yeah. She lets Lena kind of air like all the things that are like, oh, I did this because of Lex. And she's like, okay, but hang on. (laughs) (laughs) But so like if Kara is not responsible for Lena's actions, then Lena chose to hurt Kara. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like a sad side effect of Lena's decisions. It was on purpose. (laughs) And Kara expresses that and mentions all the different very personal hurts. Like you pretended to be my friend for weeks just so you could manipulate me. You stole from me. You convinced me to steal for you. And then you even used kryptonite on me, which is especially awful considering how Kara explained how horrible kryptonite feels to Lena, which is not something we've heard her talk about ever with anyone on the show. Nope. And Kara also explained to Lena multiple times that kryptonite feels personal to her. So that's a double whammy of personal hurt. And these are all things that Lena would know would hurt Kara in particular mm-hmm. because of like Kara's values for one and how Lena convinced Kara to steal for her. That's kind of a big hit. And I know the showrunners and Melissa too have talked about it, this conflict as being 
like at its root a friendship conflict Mm -hmm. in the sense that sometimes those people who know you the best can hurt you the most effectively. Mm. And Kara is clearly taking it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just because for all that Lena is saying, who is the real Kara? And you've been very two-faced. She took all that information that she knew about Kara in all of those contexts and used it very deliberately to do things that she knew because she does understand Kara would be hurtful in very specific, very personal ways. Yeah. And Kara has clearly been mulling over this fact and probably hasn't discussed it with anyone. No. (laughs) Especially given the way that Alex has reacted to like learning new information about what went down between Kara and Lena. So when Lena ends up sort of reminiscing about the good times, it doesn't really (laughs) land well with Kara. But also because she mentions their field trip to Cosnia, which was fairly stressful for Kara. (laughs) In Cosnia, Kara saw Red Daughter's room, which had pictures of all of her loved ones, like Cara Danvers' loved ones. It was like a creepy stalker wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we also had Kara almost deciding to tell Lena her secret, but then Lena emphasizing how much Kara's friendship kept her sane. Yeah, which Lena wasn't doing that with the intent to be like manipulative in a bad way, mm-hmm. but she was also really laying the responsibility for her own continued positive pro-social behavior at Kara's <laughs> feet. Mm -hmm. Which is never healthy in any relationship context. No. So bringing that up would probably just remind Kara how much effort she put into protecting Lena for so long. The other thing in this exchange that we see in Kara's apartment between Kara and Lena and then later at Luther Corp is it's sort of tied back into this concept that's been floating in and out all season long about what is reality. And you see the reality Lena's constructed based Based on her understanding or her interpretation of events versus the reality that Kara experienced. Mm -hmm. And it comes up most clearly in Lena talking about all of the poor choices that she made because of Lex or because of her emotions Mm -hmm. about Lex. Or she's trying to engage with Kara by bringing up things from their shared past that like are fun now, but that she was really passive aggressive about in the front part of the season. Yeah. And didn't want to talk about. And that's where Kara finally is done with it and says, okay, like, let's remove the excuses and the pretending that this isn't a problem from the table because you made very personal choices to hurt me that had nothing to do with Lex at all. Mm -hmm. And also all these things that you're trying to say were like bonding moments. Now, you didn't feel that way about any of this like three months ago. So why should I believe you? <laughs> like, Yeah. And it's funny because it's very similar to actually the situation I talked about with Monel in season three when Carr confronted him about his behavior in season two. And Monel had been reminiscing about his shared past with Kara mm. and his perception of it. Yeah. And especially because for him, it was farther in the past. Mm, that's true. Yeah. He had probably a less clear memory of it. But he mentioned like the first time Kara trained him and Kara's like, you were hungover, <laughs> for example. And she gets mad that he wants to reminisce about the good times while the context of their relationship was fairly negative. <laughs> but unlike in season three, Kara actually expresses her anger without the help of mind-altering kryptonite or like anger-activating mind powers, which is growth for her. Yeah. And the act of confronting the ways that people have hurt her in the past ties into that idea of like facing pain one way or another and ties into the (laughs) hope speech that Kara gives toward the end of the episode and how she says pain is what helps us grow without it we'd never be able to evolve to overcome (laughs) to forgive (laughs) in a classic Kara fashion of having realizations in the middle of big speeches and I think it should be noted that I don't think they intend that to be like Lena had to hurt Kara (laughs) for Kara to grow yeah but more so that Kara had to face the fact that Lena had hurt her to be able to move on in whatever way she would choose to. And the reason that Kara chose to move on the way that she did, which was with forgiving Lena, she didn't forgive her because she felt bad for Lena, but because she felt good about her, like she could be a good friend. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it wasn't about making 
Lita feel better. Yeah, which is so much of what the early part of season five involved. It was like Kara, she felt guilty for having done the things that she did to the point that she was just constantly trying to make up for it and make up for it and knew it wasn't working Mm -hmm. and also knew that Lena wasn't being totally honest or contributing positively to their friendship. And here she's kind of in a better place where she can look at it objectively and be like, okay, I think the air has been cleared now. Hmm. It's also different from the past, for instance, in season two when Kara forgave Manel for not telling Kara that he was the prince of Daxum. She forgave him because she felt like she had to, like it was the right thing to do, mm-hmm. or she was going through that process of forgiving him for that reason. And then the actual forgiving moment happened when she was like about to die. So <laughs> it's quite the contrast to this situation where she doesn't feel morally obligated to forgive Lena or responsible for Lena's feelings, so she should forgive her. It's a healthier mindset. Yeah, she's doing it because it feels right for herself. Yes. But let's talk about that speech that Kara gives about facing pain. Hmm. Yeah. So first of all, that speech is a neat tipping point for her conflict with Lena because Lena affirms her confidence in Kara at the same time as Alex. Hmm. But also, this is the first time we've seen Kara use the Obsidian VR after having been so resistant (laughs) to everything about it all season long. (laughs) So it was neat to see what it looked like for her. And that visual was really, really cool. Hmm. And the thing that's kind of intriguing about it is we know in the context of the episode that Kelly like opened a back door into the network so that Kara could get in to use it but we don't know if that's just what the back end of the network looks like or if that's the visual that Kara has conjured up of her perception of herself versus the people in the world Mm. because it's a really amazing shot of her staring at essentially the whole of the earth in an Mm. almost godlike position And being able to see all of the individual users, and it did make me think of her little insight that she gave to Kat in season one about perceiving each person as a light Mm. that reflects towards her, because they are all lit up with that like eerie electronic glow. Yeah. And it also is fitting that Kara individually addresses these people. We see this visual of her talking to each person. Mm -hmm. Tying back into that speech that you referenced, every person, every individual is a light. Yeah. And so Kara is essentially on a mission to disrupt Obsidian's Unity Festival, (laughs) which is on its face something that Kara should really like because she is all about being stronger together. (laughs) But in execution, it is not at all about unity because as we've seen with the VR throughout the whole season, all these people plug in and then they have independent experiences that are largely selfish in a way like they're focused on you and your feelings and yourself as opposed to feeling a connection to real actual people around you yeah and then she realizes very quickly that that's very difficult to combat (laughs) especially as a stranger and the other part of it that really did tie back to the core of Kara's character and her emotional journey was that the first few people that she tries to approach and persuade reject her because they're seeing deceased loved ones Mm -hmm. and that's something that Kara understands very deeply and actually the rejection of Kara by like the little boy and the older woman reminded me a little bit of Kara with a Laura's hologram, particularly in the episode where you reference where she gets so angry Mm. that she kind of finally loses emotional control. And Alex has to remind her that it's not real, like that construction of Alora isn't there and that isn't necessarily what she would say or how she would behave. Yeah. The other thing that was cool about it was the scene connected back to the references to Deathly Hallows. There were a few things in this episode that did. Yeah. We may have to have a separate conversation about Harry Potter references in this television show. <laughs> uh, the way that these users were participating in the Obsidian VR was reminiscent of the resurrection stone from the story of Deathly Hallows which was created by death in order to let you see a lost loved one. But the idea was you become so caught up in the past and focusing on what you lost that you stay there till you die. And that was exactly what Leviathan was planning to do. with the people in the VR. so, (laughs) And then just with all that in mind, you then have this moment after Kara's really 
intense hope speech to billions of people all at once where she and Lena make good on the promise to protect Eve's mom from Lex and you see Eve reunite with her mom and Kara's face and props to Melissa is just this really intense mix of emotions especially after having come out of dealing with all these people who were using VR to Mm. escape feelings of loss and to feel a connection to loved ones and so that was really nicely done yeah And then we've already talked a lot about how Lena has affected Kara, but we're going to shift gears and look specifically at the growth Lena had in this episode that was independent of Kara because that is so important to understanding why Kara had the change of heart that she did. Yeah, so Kara trusted Lena again fairly quickly, as is her way. But it wasn't just because Lena didn't do anything evil for one day. (laughs) Harsh, harsh. (laughs) It was specifically the ways that Lena supported Kara that made Kara feel like their friendship could be a positive force. Mm, Which I think I talked about last time, Lena and needing to use actions. Mm, That's true. But we see this idea of like what it means to be a part of a team show up with Lena in the way that she observes the space fam and how they interact with each other. And then we see her kind of model the behavior demonstrated. We see her offer like genuine emotional support with Kara, kind of in contrast with Lena's manipulative actions at the beginning of the season and faking that friendship, which is interesting because Lena actually observes this like nice Danvers sister scene and sees Alex supporting Kara. Mm. Which is important not only in it being a model for Lena being supportive, but it's also really there to help her understand how much whatever support she thought Lex was giving her was not real. Mm, Yeah, demonstrates basically a healthy dynamic. And it's then fitting when Lena and Alex say at the same time, if anyone can do it, it's you. And we also see Lena support Kara in that same kind of way when Kara says, oh, hopefully we can get everyone out before Lex and Gemma hit it. Talking about the Unity Festival within the VR Yes. And Lena says, you will, which is very specific. Like, you personally will do this. I believe in you. And then we have that idea of believing in someone Mm. and Lena specifically believing in Kara. Well, and that's a little bit reminiscent of the conversation Kara has with Alex very early on in season one about needing to know Mm. that she believes in her because Kara needs to know that she has that team at her back Mm -hmm. for the emotional support as much as for everything else. Because as we said already, Kara doesn't like supporting her own emotions. (laughs) (laughs) It's something that's important to Kara. Yeah. And definitely a change after Lena had become so disillusioned with Uh Supergirl and Kara. So saying those things goes a long way. And I think this might have also been the first episode where she calls Kara Kara regardless of what she's wearing. Mm. So she's getting over it a little. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And Lena also sees how the super friends put themselves in direct danger to protect Kara. And then she sees Kara express personal responsibility for their safety multiple times. She sees Alex run off to fight some gods, as is her way, despite being, you know, a vulnerable human. And then Lena sort of emulates that value that this team has of protecting each other. When Kara says, like, protecting people is what I do, Lena's like, then I'm going with you. Wisely recognizing that letting Kara do that herself (laughs) is not a good decision. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And then she comes through with the suit so that Kara can protect others, which is definitely important for Kara. Yeah. And something she values. (laughs) And then toward the end of the episode, Lena stands in between Andrea as a Krata and Supergirl and says, if you want to get to Supergirl, you're going to have to go through me. Yeah. So the kind of interesting thing about that evolution for Lena throughout this episode is that not only does she start to really pay attention to the value of being on a team and playing as part of a team, she also has recognized that she herself cannot solve every problem Mm. because we see her do the things that she can do to help as much as she is able. But at the point when she can't, she specifically says that she's going to call in backup, which Lena of three episodes ago probably would not ever do. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think I've ever seen her ever (laughs) call in backup in that way. Yeah. So that for her, again, was like a big step in recognizing her own problems and the issues with the way she was raised and making great strides towards undoing that for herself and for others around her. So that was very nice to see. Mm. Yeah. 
And in terms of being a team player, we see Lena kind of take on some of the team values, like protecting Kara's secret identity with William, like demonstrating that she now respects it. And Lena's sort of downfall started with her choosing basically to protect her loved ones in kind of the wrong way, morally, in terms of what Kara and most of the rest of the super friends believe when she killed Lex temporarily. (laughs) And then that kind of mindset of trying to fix a problem in the wrong way continued with Nanushere. Yeah, like she was personally upset that her feelings got hurt. So her response was to just disable people's feelings. <laughs> yes. And tying into that theme of avoiding pain. Yep. But she was also trying to protect other people from pain in entirely the wrong way. But in this episode, we see Lena find another way, as Kara would say. She uses words <laughs> and an emotional connection with someone to convince them, Andrea, not to do the wrong thing, as opposed to like manipulation or, you know, literal mind control. Well, and it's also a big departure for Lena, who is an engineer, Mm. and her way of solving things is with very practical, very tangible solutions, and she's not a fan of abstract emotions. (laughs) Yeah, emotional connection is not... Doubly not her thing. (laughs) (laughs) Something I thought was really neat. In that scene when Lena is standing in between Akrata and Supergirl was the sort of dual speech that occurred with Kara inspiring the Earth (laughs) everyone in Obsidian and then a physically vulnerable Lena standing in front of a kryptonite knife talking someone down. Because another dual speech came to mind, the one that occurred in season one, when Kat actually was inspiring all of National City through a broadcast after an earthquake. And then a powerless Supergirl standing in front of a man holding a gun. This was the Human for a Day episode. And Kara was talking him down. And all of these speeches that both in this episode in season five with Kara and Lena and then back in Human for a Day with Kat and Supergirl are demonstrations that the individuals believe in the people that they're talking to. Kat said to National City, I believe that we are better than this, trying to get them to act more like Supergirl. Kara said to the man trying to rob a convenience store, I know you're going to choose to be a better man. And then Kara and Lena in this episode both said, I believe in you. So that was interesting. It's also interesting in terms of Lena's character development Mm -hmm. and how we've heard Lena talk about how she wanted to be like Supergirl. She went to work with her specifically. That's why she came to National City, apparently. And she said in season three, like just doing my part to be a little bit more like Supergirl. But her attempts to be like Supergirl were through these big world saving actions, Mm -hmm. kind of like you talked about and her tendency to (laughs) demonstrate things in a big way. But this was in a way, I think the most Supergirl like thing that Lena's ever done, getting to the core of who Supergirl is as a character and as a symbol for National City in the world. But Lena also did it in a way that is unique to Lena. She pulled from her own experiences, which is a very car thing, but there's specifically Luther-like experiences. And she says, like, I have done terrible things to protect myself and the people that I love. She's drawing from her experience with that kind of darkness and bad decisions that she knows Andrea will relate to. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to the idea that I brought up in the last episode of, like, Lena trying to balance her Luther-like qualities and experiences with her aspirations to be like Supergirl in certain ways. I think she has found a nice balance in this moment. And it was also interesting in terms of growth for Lena to see her recognize what has been probably our biggest and most like recurring criticism of her actions in the show, mm-hmm. which is the way that she will not listen to other people's point of view or consider it. She says, I did what I always do when people hurt me. I built a wall and I suffocated behind it. Makes it very difficult to see from other people's point of view. I appreciate the choice of words with build a wall. Yeah. (laughs) Which is fitting because Lena was advertised when she was first introduced as kind of like the Republican to Carr's Democrat and like seeing them try to be friends. So it's kind of nice to see Lena come to a place where she says, but I see your point of view now. And I'm very sorry it took me so long. Lena and seeing from other people's points of view has been a struggle that's been present in the text with her character for several seasons now. So Mm -hmm. that was a nice admission there that she 
hasn't been thinking about things on that level, which, I mean, we know from the work in her experiments and how she did not want feedback on anything. <laughs> so, yeah, that'll be an interesting place to see how she moves forward. Mm-hmm. So then the main interpersonal focus in this episode was really on Kara and then Kara and Lena closing that loop of tension that's been there in their friendship all season. But we also had some new forward momentum for Alex mm-hmm. and we got the reveal that she did decide to take Kelly's suggestion, which she initially was a little skeptical about, um, <laughs> to give this vigilante life a try, both because it's cool and also on a production standpoint, because then it means that they can have someone else do stunts while Melissa is pregnant. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Really convenient timing, but in an excellent way. (laughs) So we get to see her stepping into her protector role, but instead of it just being about Kara or being driven by a purpose that somebody else sets, it's Alex getting to make those decisions herself and decide how and when and why she wants to protect other people. So that'll be fascinating to watch Mm -hmm. as she gets more experience with that next year. Although we did also see her protect Kara a bunch of this episode. (laughs) Her default setting. (laughs) Yes. They had a little exchange that was nice when Kara says, please be careful. Alex is like, you know me. And then Kara's like, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm worried about. Kara still hasn't forgotten that broken arm from when they were in middle school. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it's interesting to see Alex Alex be in this position as a vigilante with Kara on the sidelines because usually it's Alex going to Kara and being like, please be careful, like right around when the end of season action is about to occur. And Kara's ready to do something that she'll maybe die from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like in season two when Alex is like, just be faster than me because she doesn't want to oh, have yeah. to blow up Kara <laughs> inside the Daxamite ship. The like ship. cannon thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then in season three when she makes sure to stop to talk to Kara and take a minute before car runs off to fight rain but then in season four she didn't know Mm. to go and then she almost got there too late yeah yeah oh we love to see it but this season it was her turn yeah which was a fun switch it was great and so the coolest part about this thing with alex is that they've really leaned hard into her association with the martians Like, a lot. Yes. I am very sad that they had to cut the longer progression of seeing her master the weapon that Sean gave her. Mm -hmm. But it was cool to see her use it and not be stressed and, like, fighting how it works. (laughs) But then also, there was a very nice dynamic between her and then Jean and Magan, who's come back. And we've always seen Magan have a little bit of a, a protective streak with Alex, even going back all the way to the beginning of season two, because she was the first member of the super family that Magan interacted with. Yeah. And also Jean, you know, being the dad with (laughs) Alex and then Nia, who this is her first end of season battle. So Mm. she's not sure what she's doing yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's interesting seeing Jean and Magan like kind of like veteran heroes and especially with their very long experience battling as like soldiers, Mm -hmm. even stretching back to during the Martian War. And then we have Nia, who's a little bit of a newbie to this part. And Alex, who was just becoming a vigilante as opposed to an agent. But Jean and Magan kind of protect them. And in the process, Jean gets hurt when he pushes Nia out of the way. We see Magan kind of take a protective stance in front of Alex when Alex's bazooka doesn't take out the god. And we also saw Magan advise Nia mm, a little bit. That was a nice scene. Yeah. And we also had a little bit more interaction between Alex and Nia, which we don't always get a lot of because usually we have Kara and Nia segmented a little bit with the Catco stuff. So that was mm. all also fun. They have a nice energy. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see more of that. But they were both kind of unsure for a moment, which was nice. <laughs> but in classic Alex fashion, she's willing to go in anyway, <laughs> despite being unsure. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that was fun with that is that her sense of humor and Nia's mesh well. Yeah. And Alex can be kind of sarcastic sometimes and Nia's very full of puns. So <laughs> nice. It'll be great. <laughs> But let's talk a little bit more about Nia with relation to Brainy as well. Mm, yeah, so we got to see a little bit more of evolution of Nia's powers this season. Mm. And before, when we first saw what her dreams looked like, it was really clear that they were not things that she would confuse with her own thoughts. <laughs> so it's been cool to see her have a challenge as far as mastering her powers in that she thinks that it's her own lack of emotional control that's interfering but it's actually going back to her struggle that 
she's had since she first became Dreamer, where she doesn't necessarily know how to interpret all the things that are showing up in her dreams or to sift out what is coming from her conscious brain and what is coming from the dream powers. Mm -hmm. And I really liked the scene with her and Magan outside the vending machine. A, because that was the vending machine where she and Brainy kissed at the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. And B, because Magan is such a good choice of character to have that conversation about needing to be open with people. Yeah. Parallel also, too, to the issue with Kara and Lena and the lying, Magan misrepresented herself mm-hmm. for a while, and that had a lot of difficult impacts on Jean. But then they were able to overcome like a hundred years <laughs> conflict between their races and come to an understanding standing with each other. But the advice that she gives Nia is very insightful without taking the Martian like mind reading too far and making it feel invasive and like prying, mm. which I really liked the tone of. Yeah, that was nice. I would like Magan to stay. <laughs> Just putting that out there. Um, <laughs> yes. And we see this idea of like what it means to be someone's partner. Yes. And also the idea of like protecting people come up in that conversation when Nia talks to Magan and says it was more than a relationship with regard to Brainy. We were partners. We protected each other. Turns out the one thing I couldn't protect him from was himself. So there's sort of a betrayal of not just the relationship, but the partnership they've had as like team members in a way, Mm. which was interesting. And then within that context, you have Nia seeing these little flashes of things to do with Brainy that she doesn't understand. And they look really sinister. (laughs) Yeah. Through the lens of what she's seeing. But then we get the reality of what Brainy is doing and why and how it's playing out. And it is not that at all. (laughs) So number one, shout out to Brainy for being the secret MVP of the episode. Mm-hmm. and taking out Leviathan at least temporarily, but also well done to Jesse Rath for the acting as well. Yeah. And also going back to the idea that the title of this episode was Immortal Combat after the video game, he gets this little tidbit of like, you can't take your hand off the button or you have to start over. I was like, that's such a video <laughs> game thing in like the worst mm-hmm. awful way. Because <laughs> that's one of those things where like if you screw up, it's super frustrating and just horrible. And he was not having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other other thing that was really nice about brainy scenes in this episode was that we saw the return of one of the other brainies and specifically the one played by Jesse Rath's real life sister. So that was mm-hmm. cool. But it also tied back to the references to Harry Potter and specifically to Deathly Hallows that came up in this episode again with the idea of the resurrection stone, but in like mm. a positive way. Yeah, because in Deathly Hallows, Harry is going to face what he thinks will be his death and he uses the resurrection stone to see his loved ones who have passed and he has this exchange with them and he says you'll stay with me and then his father says until the very end and he even mentions like they won't be able to see you and the response is we're a part of you invisible to anyone else and in this episode brainy says will you stay with me and the female brainy says till the very end and Mm. no one else can see her yep that was really nice as he's facing his death or his possible death (laughs) Going back to the idea that Lex is voldemort Yeah, I was just going to say, at the hands of Voldemort, who Kara said at the beginning of the season was her most hated fictional villain. Mm. It all fits. I think, I think maybe she won that argument. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> sure seems that way at the moment. Well, and especially because Lex was after the immortality code. So yeah, nice. Ooh. Well played. Ooh. And speaking of Lex. Yeah, the Luthers, man. I did appreciate that we saw saw hints again in this episode of Lex's Earth-first and human-centric bias, specifically in his outrage about Kara and other aliens who think they know what is best for him. He specifically says mankind. So, like, it's okay when he does it. (laughs) Because he's human, but not when anyone else does it. Mm -hmm. The other nice little surprise at the end was Lillian's cameo. Specifically because I loved that it was very reminiscent of the first time we saw her in season two as the evil doctor Mm. from Cadmus. It had a very similar energy to it because they were like down in a bunker. The lighting was all dark and creepy. She was about to do sciencey things. Yeah, she was ready for science. And so I was like, oh, so I guess this Lillian isn't actually that far off from <laughs> yeah. the Lillian we all know. I think it was even probably framed similarly. Like the shot was from below. It was. The angle was the same. That was well done. Yeah. So also then props to David for directing that. Yeah. 
and pulling all those parallels out, which is one of the nice things about having an actor who's part of the original cast because they live the show. So they remember some of that stuff. (laughs) So we've talked about the various sort of individual characters in this episode and their journeys. But let's look at kind of the overall message of the episode, which is as a finale, fairly emphasized compared to maybe an ordinary episode. There's this idea of like breaking out of addiction or breaking out of patterns of behavior, which is something that we've done an episode about. Mm -hmm. And then feeling capable of facing pain, which is that theme that we talked about a bunch in this episode, because someone believes in them. For instance, we have obviously the big display of those in the virtual reality listening to Supergirl, who says she believes in them, and then letting go of the virtual version of their loved ones they've lost and and facing that grief again, in a way. Hmm. And they're only able to because of what Supergirl says. Then we have Brainy not going along with Lex's plan anymore and specifically looking for support from this other version of Brainy, the female Brainy, who expresses to him at one point, I believe in you, and is able to physically face pain in order to save everyone. Then we have Eve trusting Supergirl, mm. which is definitely in contrast with <laughs> yeah. Lena's technique, which was to take over her mind as opposed to listen to Eve who was trying to explain her motivations at the time. Lena did not believe in Eve, but she did believe in Andrea. We see Andrea make the choice not to kill Mm. because she has someone there to support her emotionally and and believe in her and help her face the risk that she's putting her livelihood and her father in. And then we even have a reference to belief in another person and being able to face pain with Jean and Magan. Magan says, he thought the worst of me until he finally saw my soul. And that's in reference to in season two when Megan was trapped in her mind trying to face her actions Mm. and accept them. And it was only through that connection with Jean that she was able to come out of that. And then we also, to go back to the idea of the hope speech and Supergirl as an inspiring figure and that, we had the great moment of Lena talking down Andrea with a weapon. And we also saw William do the same thing with Eve Mm. in this episode. And that one was blocked very similarly to Kara depowered talking down the guy with the gun too. Yeah, with the outstretched hand. Yeah. And the other thing too is it also reminded me of when James gets kidnapped in season one and um, (laughs) he's trying to talk down bizarro and using emotional connection and recognition of your feelings about other people in order to de-escalate a very tense situation where someone who is under a lot of pressure might be making a poor choice. Mm. So that was very cool. Yeah. We also saw kind of an example of how believing in someone is powerful, but not always enough with how Lena had to arrive at change on her own over a long period of time and be actually in a place where Kara not believing in her doesn't make her suddenly give up and go down that dark path again. But we have some more general episode thoughts. First off, going back to this dynamic between Lena and Kara, it was super satisfying to see and hit a lot of the right notes in terms Mm. of Lena behaving differently and Kara being allowed to be hurt and not having to walk back things that she's expressed. But I also think it really needed to go across maybe a handful of episodes as sort of a counterweight to how long we spent on Kara feeling guilty. Yeah, with no reinforcement that Lena was doing anything wrong at all. Yeah, other than like Alex being like, don't feel as guilty as you do. You know, it was it was yeah. super excessive. And it's not because I want Lena to suffer more. It's more about landing the kind of moral of the story and how you need more time to process the end of this arc. Mm-hmm. And this idea of like needing more time is kind of a consistent end of year problem for Supergirl. Yeah. Where they like they build up to the stuff that we're like really looking forward to and then don't really give it the opportunity to sort of breathe. Yeah. Yeah, they rush it. Mm -hmm. And it also gets lost in all the big end of season action pieces. Mm -hmm. And so the cool emotional beats kind of fall to the wayside. Mm. For instance, in season three, when... Alora turns out to be alive. That happens within the last few episodes and we don't end up spending a lot of time with that relationship before Kara chooses to stay on Earth with the Danvers family. Yeah, and the same thing happened last season as well, particularly with the Red Daughter storyline. Mm. Within the last like couple episodes, Red Daughter finally interacts with Kara and then the season ends and she has died. <laughs> yeah. And she's been redeemed, but we didn't get to see a process 
process of redemption, but we did get to see the process of her being twisted by Lex. So there's a lot of emphasis on that sort of twisting, but not enough on the closure. Yeah, and that was within a bigger issue last season of we never saw how Kara felt about Red Daughter's existence. Mm -hmm. And then also, too, you had the immigration storyline, and then that never became emotionally resonant for Kara after all of season three, where she finds out her home culture is still alive, but then she goes back to her second home. Yeah. Well, that's also, it's almost a pattern, I think, starting with the end of season three, Mm -hmm. where Kara's emotional voice is missing in the interesting ways, you know? Yeah, and that's that's been a consistent problem. Like, there's definitely been some improvements with the shift in management and the, the leadership of the storytelling team, but this has been their biggest issue, is the execution of concepts over the long term. The payoff is usually really rushed, and the emotional journeys of the characters we're here because we want to know about are being overlooked in favor of other stuff with secondary characters or, like, all this extra junk that isn't memorable at the end of the day and doesn't really mm-hmm. matter. Yeah, And so that has been a bit frustrating. But related to this particular finale, like, there were a lot of <laughs> weird things because this wasn't technically supposed to be the finale. So major kudos to the editors for pulling it together. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated that they managed to have it feel a lot like a Supergirl finale and that there were some things that ended on a hopeful note. But with that, what's going to happen next, maybe? Mm-hmm. The part that was a little unfortunate, it was like we're still stuck with some storylines that have dragged the whole season. Yeah. Specifically with Leviathan. Like, it was the finale episode, and I don't understand what their end game is <laughs> or what they value yeah. as a culture or, like, why they mess with humanity, but they don't just wipe them out and take Earth over. Mm-hmm. If that's something that... <laughs> was cut because they never filmed it. That's a problem. It shouldn't be this late in the game. I think it might just be that uh, it's a really unclear execution. Yeah, their motivations have never been clear. And that also ties into then, like, why did they begrudgingly accept Lex? Like, what about him as a human that they think humans are so inferior, they want to murder them all, Mm -hmm. makes him special and align with their values. Like, I don't understand enough of what their values are. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's another sort of plot over character work problem. Yes. And that was a big problem, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Related to that, as you had said already, the Kara and Lena conflict, really, it would have been nice if it had been proportioned Mm -hmm. a bit differently and come at the emotional stuff, maybe from both angles a little bit sooner. I liked that they were on the road to a reconciliation at the end. I just really hope the show does not do what it really likes to do (laughs) and wrap up a season-long conflict and tie it with a bow and then, like, never mention it again Mm -hmm. because this is too big of a conflict. They spent four years building to it. So if it ends in an episode and a half, that's a problem. (laughs) Yeah, it will be interesting to see because in terms of what they would do next with the characters, it's hard to imagine them not addressing it in some way. We'll just have to see what that looks like. And then the other stuff is just like world building things. And this is a place where the show will struggle sometimes. And I feel like this season struggled with it maybe almost more than last season did. So this is one of the places where there is a struggle and maybe it's a time constraint thing. Maybe you're working on solving other problems related to getting your story out and dealing with scheduling and the many other variables that go into it. But the focus on technology kind of turned into like a window dressing. The show didn't say anything particularly meaningful about any of the technologies in the series. They were just there to drive plot in a lot of respects. I think maybe they got one meaningful message out of it. It was kind of the same beat over and over again, like with relation to grief and like Mm. not losing yourself to that part of technology and escaping that kind of pain and instead engaging with real people. But there's so much to the idea of technology that one can explore that was a bit repetitive. Yeah. And the other stuff, too, in terms of just the world building was nothing about the tech stuff felt particularly authentic like this episode mentioned that there were four billion users of obsidian which is like literally every living adult on the planet (laughs) 
And that's just bizarre when you consider that, like, nowhere in the world does one single technology company have, like, a 100% market share of anything. Mm -hmm. But also, too, like, there's all kinds of issues with, like, some countries don't want other countries' technology being there. And something so huge and invasive as a virtual reality system would hit political roadblocks left and right and, like, as smooth as Lex Luthor is. (laughs) Him going on a world tour and selling it everywhere is still not gonna make every single person some salesman yeah really and the other part with the world building stuff was okay if there were four billion subscribers all logged on from the whole world over why was everything in english (laughs) i mean we did just reference cars linguistic capabilities well yeah but even like think back to the start of season four they had Kara jumping all over the world and they were using things in different languages Mm-hmm. repeatedly. So that was a little weird. The other thing that was a bummer was there was all this fanfare about introducing Andrea and Akrata, and that really did not have much of a payoff at all. And especially for introducing a minority ethnicity character, that was, again, disappointing. Hmm. What's really a shame, especially in this episode, was how they retconned basically her character development from the first part of the season, which had actually gotten to be pretty compelling, I think. Mm. So it was pretty bittersweet in this episode because had she had the history that we were first given, her choosing not to take that same action would have been a lot more powerful. Mm. So then to wrap up this episode on the season finale, we had a few questions from listeners. So we will address those before we go. So we had two questions from Sporadic Post Hideout. And the first one is, thoughts on Lena now possessing kryptonite after she took it from Andrea? Do you think this will present problems in the next episode? Also, this is kind of meta, but in the parking lot scene with Nia, Alex, Jean, and Magan, whose car did they all ride in? I know the Martians can carry people when they fly, but I also think the idea of them cramming into a car is pretty iconic. Uh, well, you're correct. <laughs> like a clown car. Well, it's going to be Jean's car. Oh, right. He does have a car. Yeah. His spaceship car. He could actually make it bigger for them to all fit in comfortably. That's true. But I do like the idea of him not doing that. As far as Lena possessing kryptonite, it didn't really register as something sinister when I saw it. I know people did react the same way at that shot of Lena holding the kryptonite. I think it might have been an artistic choice Mm. in terms of emphasizing the danger that just occurred and the fact also that Lena is a Luther holding kryptonite and not, you know, doing anything evil with it. Yeah, well, because it was actually the way that scene was blocked we talked about this was set up very similarly to Kara disarming the guy when she Mm -hmm. had no powers and the shot of her taking the gun out of his hand that was very similar yeah and it was played as like a positive power moment so Mm -hmm. there also was not like sinister music which (laughs) usually is a clue yeah (laughs) yeah sometimes Lena will give a look in an episode like in season two and you're like oh is she evil (laughs) no she's just looking at (laughs) Kara The next question we have from Sporadic Post Hideout is, can you guys talk about how Car and Lena rode a bus instead of one of the many cars Lena likely has in her possession? I've heard that buses have an unspoken rule not to notice passengers, but I feel like Lena is the kind of person to have tinted windows on her cars and have a couple low-profile vehicles in addition to the Rolls Royce. Also, Kara has a Kia or a similar car that we see when she takes Nia to her hometown, so I'd like to know what you guys have to say on this. Well, it was definitely because it was funny as a nod to one of the first conversations that Kara and Lena had about Kara taking the bus but flying. I also think they probably wrote it because of how funny it is to see Kara, for one, on a bus as an alien who flies everywhere, which was also used as a joke in season one when she got sick because she had to take the bus. Oh, yeah. And also because Lena is the type of person to have her own drivers everywhere. So they're both coming down to earth. Ha ha ha. Oh, that was the worst pun. Wow. (laughs) My other logical way of addressing it is that if Lex was expecting them to do something or if Leviathan was looking for them, they would potentially find them if they were using like a car that Mm -hmm. Lena owned or car goes back to her own house or something like that. And then we have one last question, which was from an anonymous user. Unlike Lex Luthor, Supergirl kept her promise and reunited Eve Tessmacher with her mom. Do you think this will impact Kara's reaction when she finds out Eve killed Jeremiah? 
I don't think that Cor will be thinking about Eve's connection with her mother when she finds out about Jeremiah. I think just the shock of that will take up most of her brain. But I also don't expect Cora to, like, attack Eve. Mm, no. <laughs> I think Lex is responsible for that, ultimately, especially since he tricked her into it. Mm-hmm. And Kara also doesn't trust Lex. So if, like, Lex telling her or something like that, it's not going to play well. But we'll have to see how that goes and, like, what kind of complicated reaction she'll have and what kind of more extreme reaction Alex will have. (laughs) Yeah, that's the one to watch out for. Mm -hmm. Especially knowing that Alex has had it in her mind that it's her job to take down Lex Luthor. Oh, that's going to tie in so nicely to the Alex getting a fancy suit thing. Oh, (laughs) <laughs> now that we know that she can, like, drop out of the ceiling like a spider. <laughs> a spider. She's going to get the drop on Lex, and it'll be great. <laughs> so that'll be interesting to see how all of those things come together, because, yay, related. <laughs> the last big secret that we discovered was, number one, Lillian's got a bigger role to play somehow, mm-hmm. but also there is apparently a higher power in Leviathan beyond any of the ones that we've already seen who's pulling the strings, and we know it is a woman. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to just put this out there right now. Celine Dion is going to be the supreme alien leader of Leviathan. Mm. You heard it here first. They've already made multiple Titanic references this season. Mm. You jump, I jump. And my heart will go on. That has to be about immortality. It's all coming together. She's going to show up kind of like we had that fantastic cameo from Terry Hatcher as Rhea. Mm -hmm. It's going to be great. Yes. A Supergirl's Attic insight. This is 100% a real spoiler. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, we made it to the end of season five. Yay. That we did. We will be back in a couple of weeks with a season five wrap up episode where we talk a little bit more about the different themes that came up repeatedly throughout the season, how the season was broken pre-crisis, post-crisis, what worked and what maybe didn't work as well, Mm -hmm. and how it stacks up with some of the character work they've done in previous seasons. And then following that, we have got a long hiatus. (laughs) That we do. For those of you who don't maybe get Supergirl news... There will be a year's break. The next season of Supergirl will be probably next spring. But in the meantime, if you guys have any questions or topic suggestions, you can message us at Supergirl's Attic on Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram. You can even write an iTunes review. Related to that, because it is such a long hiatus and we are planning to do a variety of hiatus projects and additional podcast content like we usually do, we are hosting a fundraiser like we did last season in order to cover our costs for the hosting, new equipment and stuff that needs upgrading, editing software for new stuff that we're working on. And we would love it if you are interested in contributing we are on coffee.com as Supergirl's Attic, and you actually now have the option to do either a one-time donation or a monthly subscription if you wish. And anyone who contributes, we will have a thank you gift for you that we will send out. So thank you in advance for your support. We absolutely love sharing all of our creative stuff with you guys. And thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.